are on air for Fans for Racing's NASCAR Weekend Preview, along with Hot Topics at 10 p.m. Uh, during our first half hour tonight, we're going to get into the ARCA East race that will take, be taking place at Dover International Speedway this weekend, along with uh, the Xfinity and the uh, Cup Series race. Uh, that we will do during our second and third half hour tonight. Uh, at 8.40, our guest, Mason Diaz, joins the conversation. He's going to be racing in the race at uh, Dover this weekend. He's finished second in his, uh, the last couple of races, and uh, we'll hear what he has to say about coming up to Dover. Next, uh, we will give a few updates about the truck series, uh, that happens at the 9 o'clock half hour, along with uh, getting started with our preview of the Xfinity Series and then the Cup Series in our third half hour. Hot Topic Sound Off, of course, starts at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Joining me for tonight's show is Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. Uh, super excited to be here tonight. I know I couldn't be here on Monday night even for Hot Topics, so uh, so happy to be back here on a Thursday night for the preview show. Yes, indeed. I'm happy to have you back as well. Um, now, we're going to get right into the preview for the ARCA East because our guest is going to be on in about eight minutes. So just so everybody knows, it is the general tire, uh, one twenty. And they will be racing tomorrow night, Friday, May the 14th at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. It is available for live streaming on Track Bass for NBC Sports Gold members. Uh, you can also listen on the radio, MRN and Sirius XM, uh, channel 391 or online channel 981. Uh, this track is a one-mile concrete oval. They'll be racing 125 laps. And uh, if you want to watch the delayed broadcast, the delayed broadcast uh, is scheduled to be on NBC Sports Network on May the 20th at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. But I always encourage people to check your local listings just to make sure uh, it's the right time for your area. So we've got a lot to look forward to here, Jay, uh, in this Arkham Menard Series uh, General Tire 150 this weekend. Well, we certainly do. Now, they uh, competed last week uh, at Nashville Fairgrounds and have a short, unusually short amount of time to prepare for the next event. We've waited uh, weeks and months in between races. Now we only had to wait a week. So when Friday's General Tire 125 at Dover International Speedway arrives, those competitors will have had just six days post-Nashville to prepare for this, the fourth race of the 2021 Arkham Menards East Series season. And as if the Monster Mile in Dover, Delaware was not tough enough as a one-of-a-kind track, those East regulars are going to uh, face a unique challenge Friday in terms of competition as well. We'll talk about that when we take a peek at the entry list. Absolutely. Um, It is not a combination event with the Arkham Menard Series, but several regulars from the latter series are entered. So we will see uh, some of the regular Arkham Menard Series drivers included in this race. 
Uh, that includes the drivers who are second and third in current Arkham Menard Series points. Now, fans are able to attend Friday evening's event at Dover, and the race can be viewed, again, live on Track Pass and NBC Sports Gold. Uh, but there's a couple of drivers that we're really going to keep our eyes on this week. Well, given the way Sammy Smith has performed in the Arkham Menard Series East, Series East through the three races in 2021, coming off consecutive victories, one would think the championship points leader would be the favorite to win again at Dover. And that likely would be the case if not for the challenge to come from his own Joggins Racing Garage. And that would be one of them we mentioned earlier. Ty Gibbs is the current Arkham Menard Series regular who has two wins and 11 top five finishes in 12 East Series races dating back to 2019. He'll be running the number 18 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota at Dover, and Smith will be in the 18E Engine Ice Toyota. Right uh, now, Gibbs, Gibbs is third in, oh, in the arc of points with a pair of wins through four races, and Friday's event at Dover is going to mark his first run in the East since he finished third in last season's finale at Five, uh, at Five Flags Speedway in Pensacola, Florida. Now, the East Series race at Dover last season marked Gibbs' worst finish in a year. He crashed on lap 109 after leading a race-high 104 laps and then finished 12th. It's the only time Gibbs has failed to finish in the top five in an East Series race. Uh, so the pair of 18 cars obviously will be strong at Dover, but so will a handful of other entries beyond the East regulars, Jay. All right, because Taylor Gray is still recovering from injuries sustained in the streetcar accident. His car owner, David Gillen, will race the team's number 17 DGR Ford at Dover. Gillen, the 45-year-old veteran driver and car owner, has just two East Series starts on his resume, compared to 50 West Series starts. But the last time he raced an Arkham Menards car, he drove his own number four Lincoln Electric Simpson Ford in the West finale at Phoenix Raceway last season. He ended up in victory lane. And on the subject of West Series drivers, defending series champion Jesse Love will make his debut with Venturini Motorsports at Dover, driving the team's number 25 JBL Toyota. Now, speaking of that, Jay, Jesse Love is our guest next Thursday night, so uh, definitely looking forward to catching up with him. Now, BMS will also field Drew Dollar in the number 15 Sunbelt Rentals Toyota at Dover, and Dollar has two top five finishes in his pair of Dover starts in the East Series. He's currently second in the Arkham Menard Series point standings. Cal Sieg, who is fourth in the Arkham Menard Series points, will race at Dover in the number 28 RSS Racing Chevrolet. He finished 11th at the track in the East Series debut last year. And then you also got Josh Berry, who just won his first Xfinity Series race last month at Martinsville Speedway, running for Junior Motorsports. He'll start his first East Series race since 2019, when he competed at, right here at Dover in the number 41 Solid Rock Carrier Chevrolet for Cook Finley Racing. I know we got about a minute before our guest is supposed to join us. We'll take a quick peek down the rest of the entry list 
and uh, let you know who else is entered. Uh, okay, Roger here. Caruth. All right. Go ahead. Yeah, okay, I didn't know if you're going to start at the top or the bottom. So uh, you mentioned Rajak Karuth in the number six, driving for uh, UCI, NCI, Max Siegel Incorporated, Chevrolet, uh, Glenn Parker as the crew chief, and Ed Pompna in the number 10, uh, Toyota for Andy Hillenberg. Okay, Jake Buford will be in the number 11 uh, for Andy Hillenberg's Ford. Uh, and then we've mentioned the next several drivers. Max Gutierrez, I'm going to pick up with him. He'll be in the number 30 uh, Ford for Mark Gretsch Jones Racing. we got a couple of the regulars there then down the list. Parker Retzlav in the number 42 Toyota for Bruce Cook, uh, teammate to Josh Berry there. And then Daniel Dye, uh, Ben Kennedy Chevrolet, number 43. And in the 48 is Brad Smith. Uh, he's a regular driving with his own race team in the Chevrolet. Joey East in the number 54 uh, will be driving a uh, David Gilliland Racing Ford. The final two regulars, Justin Carroll out of West Point, Virginia, in the Terry Carroll Toyota, and Connor Mozak in the Tyler Young Chevrolet. Uh, rounds out a list of 19 competitors here for the East Series at Dover. And that's a big field for the East Series uh, combined, as mentioned, in, in a spot where we see some other drivers jump in like this. Okay. You mentioned Mason, Justin, and Connor? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, okay. Mason Diaz, obviously, obviously our guest coming up here. For uh, Viscanti Motorsports. Yeah, that's going to be... Uh, uh, a great entry this weekend as well. He's finished second in the last two races in the series. So uh, I'm looking forward to chatting with him here uh, coming up soon. Okay. Uh, he's not here yet. So uh, we've got a couple minutes here. Um, I noticed uh, Tommy Baldwin is uh, Mason Diaz's uh uh, crew chief, and there's quite a few crew chiefs that, uh, you know, a lot of people are familiar with. Kevin Reed for Jesse Love. We've got Jeff Green for Kyle Sieg. Uh, there's also uh, uh, Eddie Traconis for Connor Mosack, uh, crew chiefing there. Mark McFarland for Ty Gibbs. Uh, Chad Johnson uh, for David Gilliland. Billy Venturini for Drew Dollar. Uh, just some of the ones that uh, we're familiar with from uh, NASCAR's top three series. Yeah, the, there were a couple there, like you mentioned. Tommy Baldwin is one that stood out to me, as well as uh, Mark McFarlane and Chad Johnson. Mark McFarlane working with the uh, Ty Gibbs machine. I don't know how much more you can add to Ty Gibbs uh, to give him more star power, but adding him, Mark McFarlane as a crew chief certainly does help. It does indeed. Okay. Um, okay. I, I'm going to um, – let's go over the standings for the Arkham Menard Series okay. East while I see if I can send a text here and see if we can find out what's going on with Mason. All right. Well, we mentioned there's three races in the book. Sammy Smith has won two of them, two consecutive actually, for a total of three top fives and one pole. He is your points leader by 15 points over 
Mason Diaz, who uh, hopefully will be coming up here shortly uh, to join us. He's got three top fives as well, uh, led a total of 51 laps. Mentioned he's 15 points back. Right behind him, we had uh, Max Gutierrez. He's got one win, with that being his one top five, but still three top tens, 22 points back. You mentioned the other regulars, Joey East, three races, three top fives, is 24 points back. Rajah Karuth, he's got one top five, two top tens, is 30 points back. Tied with him, uh, Parker Retzlaff. Uh, he doesn't have a top five, so that tiebreaker goes to Rajah Karuth. But he does have three top tens. He's had a total of 55 laps, so he's also 30 points back. One more point back is Daniel Dye. Again, three top tens. Uh, looks like he's got two laps led there. Uh, he's 31 points back. Now I get a little further back, uh, eighth, ninth, and tenth. Uh, you got eighth is Carson Cavapel, is 45 points back. Dick Dohaney is uh, 48 points back. And then you got Taylor Gray. We mentioned that he uh, is not running this weekend. This will be his first or his second, sorry, second East Series race missed as he missed Nashville. He in two races, he had two top fives and one pole, leading a total of 96 laps. His average uh, start was 1.5. Oops, I lost my line. Uh, average finish at 3.0 in those two races. So he's now 56 points back, but having missed those two races, you see he dropped all the way down to 10. Yeah. Um, so it, it is going to be interesting uh, to see what happens this weekend. Uh, those are all the drivers that uh, have raced all three races, Jay? Yep, the first nine, uh, Taylor Gray being the first one that had missed a race. There's a couple with two races. Stephanie Mo- Moyer, Richard Garvey, and Wayne Peterson both have two starts each. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I know Stephanie Moyer in her two races has two top ten finishes, uh, which is really kind of cool to see happening for her. Uh, but uh, I'm hoping that we do have Mason on the show here tonight. I was looking forward to uh, chatting with him. Uh, he's finished second in the last couple of races, and his uh, line is uh, three top fives. He's had three top fives in the first three races of the season. He's got an average uh, start of 5.3 and an average finish of 2.7, which is Pretty darn good, and uh, I'm I'm really excited for the season that he's having this year. It certainly is, and it tells you right there. I mentioned that Max Gutierrez in third has one win, Sammy Smith with uh, two wins, and he's in between the two. Uh, we talked about this even at the top level of, of NASCAR. Uh, consistency goes a long way. You want to get those wins, but finishing second repeatedly obviously uh, isn't a bad place to be. You know you're right there on that doorstep. Eventually that door is going to open. You're going to get into victory lane. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, no words yet on what's going on. I do know that sometimes things happen and people have uh, good intentions of being here, uh, but when unexpected things happen, uh, then, uh, you know, it interferes. So with that, uh, Sal, what we may have to do here is uh, let's go ahead and cover 
uh, the other races in the Arkham Menard series that w- and when they'll be taking place. So, for instance, let's see here. We'll start with, oh, May 22nd. Uh, we're talking tonight about the Menard Series East, Arkham Menard Series East on tomorrow night. But there's another race coming up for the Arkham Menard Series. It's actually the first race of the Sioux Chief Showdown, and it's the Earth's Potato Ships 200 uh, that will take place May 22nd at Toledo Speedway at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. So that race is going to be televised on Mass TV, and uh, it's, uh, it's definitely one to look forward to with the first of the 10 race uh, showdown. So um, we'll see what uh, what happens there. Okay. Those, those definitely okay, hold on. I think we've to... got Mason. Okay. All right. Let me bring him into the queue here. And Mason Diaz, we're happy to have you on the show here tonight. And uh, welcome. How are you doing? Sorry about that. I'm up here at work, finishing a couple signs. Um, getting ready for tomorrow, just trying to tie in some loose ends, you know? Oh, that's okay. I can I can appreciate uh, what you're doing there. Uh, and I know it's a busy time for you, but Mason, we're, we're so impressed with the season that you're having. We were just talking about how uh, in three races you have three top five finishes, and that consistency has put you second in the series point standings. Uh, talk about your feelings about your season so far this year. Our season this year has been amazing so far. Um, we still have a lot more to go and need to stay focused on what's coming ahead. But so far, the momentum with the team, with it being new to myself, um, it's been a tremendous year so far. So we just got to keep going and not get ahead of ourselves. Um, it's definitely we're in contention to, to finish good in points, and we have to keep it that way. Okay. Now, Dover's coming up this weekend, and uh, have you, you've raced at Dover, I think, before, haven't you? Yes, last year we finished third. Okay. So what are your what did you learn last year that you feel is going to help you this year? Uh, going into the race last year, I wasn't expecting as much aero-dependent as it was. So it took me majority of the race to learn and figure out what I need to do in the air. So this year, I, this year I think I'll have a one-step advantage of that and know what I struggled last year, and I've been studying and learning, trying to, by watching past races, to see what I can do to improve that. Okay. Now, we do have our co-host here tonight as well. That's Jay Huseman, and I know he's got a few questions for you. All right, thank you, Sharon. Yeah. Uh, you almost you almost kind of answered one of them already, Mason. Uh, you talked about you know where you're at in points. You're running good. You're right on the the, the door of uh, doorstep of victory. What, what is your focus? I mean, how much in the back of your mind do you keep in points, even going week to week to win each race week to week? Well, my thing is when you go points racing is you finish well, points are going to come. So I don't really try to points race. Because when you get in points racing, it becomes very stressful. So if we just go out there and do what we're doing right now, finishing up front, having strong top five finishes, top three finishes, we'll be fine. 
So we just got to keep doing what we're doing, not not focus as much on points because that's when mistakes are made, and just make it through the next six races, really five races, because we know where we're staying going to the last race. So the biggest thing is just maintaining what we're doing and not overstep ourselves and focus on really what we need to accomplish, and that's just being fast every week, not having mechanical failures or issues that could be prevented from the shop going to the racetrack. Okay. Well, with that, uh, you got. We talked about your crew chief, Tommy Baldwin, and uh, we've seen uh, at all levels he he is a strategist. One of the things we look at this weekend, so far in the series, you had 19 drivers run at least one race. You got 19 drivers entered this weekend. How does that affect your strategy if it comes into it, though, of of how you call the race or how he does? I should. It say. does. It it completely changes the whole entire aspect of this weekend. Um, coming from the cars that we knew that run local to the every week and Daniel Dye and all the other drivers that race every week, we know what we're going against. But this week we have more additives from Venery and DGR and a whole bunch of other drivers like Josh Berry coming into play now. And you can't count those drivers out. There's people now coming in like David and Josh with more experience than what I might have or other drivers might have since this is a experience a series that's based off experience and to gain it. So my goal is just to come in this weekend with open mind, learn as much as I can moving forward, and hopefully we can come out with a, a solid finish. And we talk, we talk about this a lot when, when you talk about a driver coming down to a low, lower series or returning to a series like that. And you say you're not points racing, but you also know that experience is there. And if they got that better car of how you adjust where you're running to follow them, learn from them, whether it be in the garage yeah. or then on the track. Exactly. And I, a lot of people dislike when people like that come down to races, but I, I, I enjoy it when people from higher up divisions or series come down because that's when you can really learn. Um, and that's where you can really – have a solid race and learn as much as you can on the racetrack and even in the garage talking to them and where I can improve or where people can improve on the race circuit itself. Well, and we have to ask that question every time, every time we have somebody on because, uh, you know, Sharon and I are within the media, we understand, but it is the fans that don't seem to like it. All the drivers always say, Hey, if they come down there and we know where we rank against them, we know where we got to improve. So it's the drivers that like it. It's the fans that don't. Yeah, which I can understand, but at the same time, this is where we, we can actually see where we, where we rank compared to them or where we have to improve, whether it's improving the driver or improving the equipment or where we're doing something in the race, either strategy or, or set up going to the racetrack for the following year. All right, well, good luck to you. Again, you obviously got the experience. You mentioned a third already at Dover. Uh, good luck this weekend. I'm going to turn it back over to Sharon here. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, thank you for for allowing me to speak, and um, I'm looking forward to this oh, weekend, and I appreciate it. Okay, hold 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 on just a second. I, yeah, see yeah. If Sharon comes back on here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, I had my mute button on, but then um, okay. Mason, we are so happy you were able to join us. I know you're super super busy right now. And uh, we really do appreciate you being on the show with us. Are there any shout-outs that you want to make before we say goodnight tonight? 
Oh yeah, hundred percent. And uh, it's even though I'm busy, I have to maintain and be able to do these. It's just very important for me and for my team because without my team and my supporters, Solid Rock Carriers, Prince Marine, and Mulch Mate, which this weekend's a Mulch Mate car, I wouldn't be able to be here. And these obligations are very important because the fact that this this is what gets our name out there. And um, I appreciate everything that they do to, for my career, and I appreciate you guys having me on the show. Well, Mason, we're hoping to have you back on again sometime down the road here, so uh, uh, we'll try to stay in touch with you, and uh, we wish you the best of luck out at Dover International Speedway this weekend. Thank you, guys. Okay, take care now. All right, that was uh, Mason Diaz with Wisconsin Motorsports uh, doing really, really well this season uh, with three top five finishes in three races. And, uh, you know, it sounds like uh, it's. I kind of want to get into some other things with him, but we're kind of short on time there. But uh, I thought it was really good of him to uh, take the time to be with us tonight, especially considering uh how um busy he is getting ready to to uh, race tomorrow night it is it, and, and you know on the schedule it may not be any different than any other race but as mentioned it is a big race you got 19 drivers some of them uh, some bigger names that have moved all the way up to mentioning josh berry with an xfinity series win as well as ty gibbs you got veteran david gillen and then another arkham menard series regular of drew dollar so the the opportunity that is here for this race uh, to learn and, and be a part of uh, is huge for these guys, like he mentioned. But I do think yeah. they got to be carrying such great momentum and confidence. You mentioned uh, consecutive second-place finishes. He already has a third-place finish last year at Dover, he said. And I think having Tommy Baldwin in his ear as his crew chief, if it comes down to a strategy – uh, I don't know if you could have a better ace in the hole than that. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. I would agree 100% with that statement. Uh, Tommy Baldwin is a great crew chief. We've known him over the years, and he's been with some really great drivers. So uh, it's really good to have uh, somebody like Tommy Baldwin uh, in your corner uh, when you're going to a racetrack like Dover or any racetrack for that matter on the circuit. Okay, now we're coming up at the top of the hour now, and that means it's time for us to give a few updates here from the uh, truck series. They're actually not racing this weekend. Uh, Their next race is at the Circuit of the Americas, the Toyota Tundra 225, that will take place this Saturday, not this Saturday, but next Saturday, May the 22nd. Uh, that happens to be my grandson's birthday, so uh, it's going to be a big day that day. Uh, they will start at 1 p.m. Eastern time, and it will be televised at Fox Sports 1 at 12 p.m. Uh, with the pre-race coverage, and then MRN and SiriusXM NASCAR radio will have the radio coverage. Now, there are racing. Uh, we'll get into more details of all of that when uh, we do the preview show next week. Uh, but let's give a few updates here uh, with what's going on with the truck series, Jay. 
Well, we definitely got some things going on. Not only is it the uh, debut at, at CODA itself, but Jack Wood's going to make his series debut uh, as Arkham Menard Series dr- driver. He's going to make his Camping World Truck Series uh, debut next weekend at CODA. He'll be driving the number 24 GMS Racing Chevrolet. Uh, the team announced that this week. Now, Wood has one top five and two top ten finishes in the four Arkham Menard Series starts this season. Uh, so opportunity of a lifetime for him, uh, especially at a racetrack like Coda. Yes, indeed. Uh, and I know uh, Sal talks about Jack Wood all the time. He's one of the West Coast drivers. So this is going to be a big deal for him. There's also the Triple Truck Challenge presented by Wompley. Sheldon Creed won the opening round of that Triple Truck Challenge this season. Uh, and that was at Darlington Raceway last weekend. That netted him a bonus of $50,000. It also marks Creed's second Triple Truck Challenge victory after winning the bonus last year at Worldwide Technology Raceway at Gateway. Now, next weekend's race at Coda will also be the second leg of the Triple Truck Challenge, which will wrap up at Charlotte on the following weekend. Definitely going to keep an eye on that. Again, great program there for the Truck Series regulars. Now, we talk about taking a turn at the Circuit of Americas. They have had an off week, but the Camping World Truck Series will return to action on Saturday, May 22nd for the Toyota Tundra 225 at the Circuit of the Americas. This will mark the first time that NASCAR has raced at COTA, which is a 3.41-mile road course located just outside Austin, Texas. It's a multi-elevational track and has 20 scenic turns for the trucks to navigate. And look at some uh, road course uh, history. Ben Rhodes in 2021 won on the Daytona road course. Brett Moffitt in 2019 at Canadian Tire Motorsports Park. John Hunter Nemechek at tw- in 2016 also at Canadian Tire uh, Motorsports Park. And then Sheldon Creed was the 2020 winner at the Daytona road course. So those are the only active, regular drivers in the Camping World Truck Series who have wins on road courses. Now, Matt Crafton, Nemechek, and Creed each have runner-up finishes on the road courses, and Crafton leads all regulars with four top five finishes on a road course. Nemechek and Creed each have three. So we got to keep these notes for uh, next week when we make our fantasy picks, apparently. <laughs> Okay, now Toyota had uh, a pretty dominant season going in the year 2021, but last weekend, uh, the last year's champ, Sheldon Creed, and Chevrolet ended that dominance. Leading into last weekend's race at Darlington Raceway, Toyota had dominated victory lane thus far in the 2021 Camping World Truck Series season, winning all seven races to date. That all changed Friday night when Sheldon Creed piloted his number two GMS Racing Chevrolet to the win over Thorsport Racing's number 99 Toyota, driven by Ben Rhodes at Darlington Raceway. The win also ended a five-race win streak by Kyle Busch Motorsports uh, that saw John Hunter Nemechek and Kyle Busch each win a pair of races while Martin Truex Jr. won on the Bristol Dirt. 
Now, Darlington marked Creed's first win this season and his first since he won the season finale at Phoenix in November to win the season championship. He is just one race off the pace from when he earned his first victory on his title season in the seventh race of the year at Kentucky. Overall, Creed won five races last year, including a victory on the Daytona Road Course, which will serve him well when the series returns to action next weekend at the Circuit of the Americas. So there's a lot to look forward to here in the Camping World Truck Series. Uh, Jay, while well, we've got a lot of extra time here, uh, let's you weren't with us Monday night to give us an update uh, with what's going on in our fantasy racing game, but we've got plenty of time for you to do that now. All right. Well, I actually had to make some amendments today uh, due to the hot topic we'll talk about later, Noah Gregson's uh, penalty getting overturned, which actually had cost me seven points. So I had to get those back in there. But we'll start with the truck series. And we're talking <laughs> we talk about it at all levels, points and how minimal the points are. Sharon, you still lead the truck series uh, 37 points. Andy is five behind you, though, at 32. I'm at 29. Mike and Sam are at 28. Actually, I take that back. Mike, Sam, and Tommy are all at 28. Uh, wow. Owen is at 20. And James is at 14. Yeah, there we got nine points all the way down through six plays. Wow. Uh, the Xfinity Series, this is the one I had to, uh, so this one got shifted a little bit. Andy is the leader here at 40 points. He's got a whole two-point lead over Mike at 38. James is at 34. Owen at 30, as well as Sam. I got to come up to 27th there. I was down at 20 points. I got to come up to 27. Sharon's at 24, and Tommy is at 20. Now, keep in mind, Tommy did start late with us, so uh, you see he's actually ahead of a couple of people in a couple of these. Now, on the Cup Series side, it is a point, Sharon. You have a point lead. You got 63. I got 62. And then we got four more points, and Mike is there at 58, Sam at 57, Owen at 53, so there's a 10-point down to fifth behind. James is at 43. Tommy at 30, and Andy at 25. And i got to find the overall. And this one I think I'm going to have to, uh, oh, where's the, I thought I had that one screenshotted. Oh, i got it written down, that's why. Uh, Sharon, this one i got to quit saying points lead. You are tied. Uh, you and Mike are at 124 points each, so you're tied at 124 I am in third at 118, only six points back. Sam is at 115. Owen is at 103. And I don't have the full screenshot. I know Andy and James are both at 97 and 93, respectively, I believe. And then Tommy is at 72, I think, is where he's at. And that would bring us, uh, let me see if I can pull that up. You still there, Sharon? I'm sorry, I had the mute button on again. Um, no, I was saying, as I've said before, I've got to enjoy this while I can because it is fleeting, and it sounds like it could be fleeting very soon. 
Well, that's what, yeah, the, the overall, I know in the Cup Series, me and you have swapped back and forth, but Mike has jumped right up there. He's kind of been on the William Byron bandwagon, uh, you know, this weekend. He said he had to put his money where his mouth was. He was talking about him on uh, their last Thursday night, I know, for the, the hot topics there. And we have seen that. He definitely is. Uh, there was somebody else I know that got picked up this uh, past weekend that isn't a regular we've been picking. Um, and I know I made the point, so i got to make the counterpoint, that we hadn't been picking the race winners as much this year. Every series got a race-winning pick this past weekend. Uh, the truck series, oh, again, wow. oddly enough, we had our own streak going there. I think we're up to five in a row there of having the truck winners picked weekly. So, Very cool. Okay. Um, one thing I forgot to mention when we were – I said we were going to uh, mention the Arkham and Art Series next races. We did mention the Earth's Potato Chip 200, but I totally neglected to mention the General Tire 200 for the Arkham Menard Series West. That race is going to take place June 5th at 2 p.m. Pacific time, but that's 5 p.m. Eastern time at Sonoma Raceway. So that's going to be another race, a uh, road race, and uh, it will be available for live streaming on Track Pass. So uh, if you're not a member yet of NBC Sports Gold's Track Pass, uh, I would really suggest uh, people to consider it to watch a lot of these races. It includes not just the Arkham and Art Series, but it also includes uh, – so many other uh, series as well, the modified, southern modifieds, um, and and you really do see some great racing there. Okay, so something happened to Jay; he just dropped off. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and get into the Arca, not the Arca, but the Xfinity Series race. We're getting way ahead here. And normally we don't have enough time for the Cup Series, so that's probably a good thing. Uh, the next race, of course, for the Xfinity Series is this weekend at Dover International Speedway. The Dry Dean 200 will take place this Saturday, May the 15th, at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. The uh, coverage will start at 1 p.m. on Fox Sports 1 and radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. They'll be racing a distance of 200 miles over 200 laps, uh, and stage one and stage two are 45 laps apiece. Um, so stage two ends on lap 90. The final stage ends on lap 200, and uh, again, I'm looking forward to this race. I, I think we're going to see uh, some more great racing this weekend. So what are our updates here in the Xfinity Series, Jay? All right, let me get scheduled back up here. Apparently my phone doesn't like to multitask, so I had to call back in there as it decided to shut down. But maybe I need to switch over to Comcast. So Comcast <laughs> is opening an new lift zone in Dover prior to the Xfinity race. Uh, back in September, Comcast vowed to open 1,000 new high-speed Wi-Fi lift zones throughout the United States by the conclusion of 2021. And so far, the company has already opened up over 50 new zones this year. 
Now, Dover isn't the first NASCAR market that has the lift zone in it either. Uh, Martinsville Speedway on April 9th, Comcast announced the opening of the Wi-Fi connected lift zone in the Martinsville area. And it's important for racetracks to have these lift zones, but it also benefits the communities uh, during the times when races aren't in town. And having this weekend's race will be a dash for cash race. The Xfinity Series, as well as the opening of the new lift zone, there's a lot of excitement around this race, uh, as if the, the monster needs any more additional uh, excitement to it, right? <laughs> that is so true. Now, a lot of us know about Ryan Seed, uh, but he has a brother who has been racing in the ARCA Series. Uh, Kyle is actually going to be making his Xfinity Series debut at Dover this re- weekend. Uh, David Gilliland uh, Racing announced that Kyle Sieg, brother of NASCAR Xfinity Series veteran driver Ryan Sieg, will make his series debut in the number 94 this weekend at Dover International Speedway. Kyle Sieg has made four Arkham Menard Series starts and one Arkham Menard Series West start this year. Of his four starts this season, Sieg has a best finish of fourth at Phoenix Raceway in March. The 20-year-old also, <laughs> excuse me, I had a sneeze sneak up on me. The 20-year-old also has finishes of eighth or better in all of his starts. The independent metal scrap will sponsor Sieg in the number 90 this weekend as well. Seek will also compete in Friday night's Arkham and Art Series East event in Dover and the number 28 with sponsorship from Dry Dean. So uh, that's going to be interesting uh, to see Kyle uh, racing in that Arkham and Art Series East. That will make him having a start in three of the Arkham and Art Series. Well, and you wrapped up there with Dryden, and as a dirt track, I know they're doing a lot with sponsorship, but they're taking it to a whole nother level this weekend on the uh, NASCAR side, as Dryden is going to sponsor three JD Motorsports cars this weekend. Now, JD Motorsports with Gary Keller announced that Dryden Performance Products will sponsor the three cars in the NASCAR Xfinity Series race at Dover International Speedway this Saturday. Based out of Warminster, Pennsylvania, Dryde is sponsoring both the NASCAR Cup Series and the Xfinity Series races at Dover International Speedway as well. Now, in addition, the four, the numbers four, six, and fifteen Chevrolets will sport the Dryde high-performance oils and lubricants. And this marks the second consecutive year that Dryde has served as the primary sponsor for the JDM cars. So let me tell you, that's a sponsor that's coming uh, up the chain here, and, and they're putting all in on it, too. Yeah, I guess so. Okay, also, J.J. Yaley has, added to, has been added to the Our Motorsports driver lineup. Our Motorsports announced that J.J. Yaley will pilot the number 23 Chevrolet for two races beginning this Saturday at Dover. Yaley made his NASCAR Cup Series and Xfinity Series debut in 2004, and he has 339 starts in the Xfinity Series. Yaley, who is 44, will also pilot the number 23 for our motorsports at the Charlotte Roval in October. 
Now, Saturday will be Yaley's 22nd start at Dover. He has three top tens there to his name and a best finish of eight in 2016. He made his first start at the Delaware, at the Delaware track in 2004, starting 25th and finishing in 26th place for Joe Gibbs Racing. Well, I like what we're seeing from our motorsports. I think that's the next team we're going to see really build up to a, a solid team, and having a driver, veteran driver like J.J. Yaley is a part of that. So I like to see that. Yes, indeed. All right, we're going to look at who stacks up where when it comes to the NASCAR Xfinity Series playoff bubble. Now, Justin Algar became the second driver to win multiple races this season, joining points leader Austin Sindrick after he picked up his win this last weekend at Darlington Raceway. Thankfully for the rest of the playoff bubble drivers, though, another new name didn't take one of the playoff spots that they're in search of. Two drivers without wins yet this season. They're in pretty comfortable in points right now. And that's Joe Gibbs Racing teammates Daniel Hamrick and Harrison Burton. Hamrick continues to be the highest-ranked driver without a win as he's in six with a 143-point cushion ahead of the playoff cut. And Harrison Burton is behind him in seventh with 115 points ahead of the cut line. The next five drivers in that playoff outlook are uh, all within 100 points of the postseason cutoff. And Justin Haley is at plus 88. Noah Gregson, and I believe this is with the update of the penalty, is at plus 64. Jeremy Clements at plus 48. Brandon Jones is back to the good, uh, good side at plus 28. And Michael Annette, he's right at the line of plus 6. Now we'll talk about Gregson's uh, rough start to the 2021 season. It's come full circle after a couple of strong finishes in a row and winning the three Dash for Cash installments so far. Clements has been in the playoff standings for the entire season, again showcasing that consistency and talent in his small family-owned race team. Joe Gibbs Racing Brandon Jones, he's had a bit of a roller coaster season so far with three DNFs of 30th or worst, but has tamed the flames of those poor finishes now with five top five finishes including a third-place finish this past weekend at Darlington. Now, along that playoff cut line, you find Brandon Brown and Michael Annette, and they're battling hard for that final playoff spot. Annette currently grasps, a, on, grasps onto a six-point lead over Brown and sits in that final playoff spot at 12. Brown will have his work cut out for him this weekend to continue to close that points gap as Annette has a far better average uh, finish at 12.2 then Brown's 18.3. We talked about Sindrick and Algar being locked in with multiple wins. A.J. Allmendinger, Jeb Burton, Myatt Schneider are drivers with one win, which should lock them in, but it's not a guarantee yet at this point. And then we ran all the way down to 13th Brandon Brown. You also got a look right there. Riley Herbst is in uh, 14th spot at 185 points. So he's 25 points back. You get a little further, but you got Tommy Joe Martins, Ryan Sieg, and Landon Castle. Uh, they're at 168, 165, and 155. But again, specifically Tommy Joe Martins, we saw this past weekend uh, running up front, taking those little steps, but increasingly stepping closer to the front and running with these other teams. So 
have to keep an eye on that. I think the playoff cut line there is going to be real interesting here down the road. Oh, I would agree with you. Okay, let's take a look at the Sunoco Rookie update. The Xfinity Series Sunoco Rookie standing saw a little bit of a shakeup after Darlington last week. Josh Berry uh, is at the top with 168 points. He has three awards. Then it's Ty Gibbs at 149 with two awards. Ryan Vargas, 78, with four awards. And then you've got Jordan Anderson and Sam Mayer uh, that have not uh, had any awards yet or, or points because they haven't been in any of the races. Okay. Uh, so Junior Motorsports' Josh Berry took the lead in the NASCAR Xfinity Series Sunoco Rookie of the Year standings after Darlington Raceway. His second-place finish last weekend bumped him ahead of Joe Gibbs Racing's Ty Gibbs, who had been in the lead since his win on the Daytona Road Course early in the season. In eight starts so far this year, Barry got his first-ever Xfinity Series win at Martinsville and has had two top fives and four top tens to his name. He also led 103 laps this season and has an average start of 16.0 with an average finish of 19.0. Ty Gibbs is running a part-time schedule at Joe Gibbs Racing this season, and in his first ever, and in his first ever, I'm sorry, I got distracted here. And they start so far, he got his first ever Xfinity Series win at Martinsville and he has two top fives and four top tens to his name. He also led 103 laps this season and has an average start of 16.0 with an average finish of 19.0. I apologize. I had a little bit of a repeat there. Uh, Ty Gibbs is running a part-time schedule at Joe Gibbs Racing this season and in his first ever start in the Daytona Road Course, which was amazing, he won after starting 15th. He's made four starts so far in 2021 and has three top time five finishes and three top tens. His average finish is 6.0. His average start is 21.8. Now, last weekend at Darlington, Mark Gibbs' worst finish, which was a 17th, uh, and that was his worst finish so far this year. J.D. Motorsports' Ryan Vargas is still sitting in third in the rookie standings with 79 points and nine starts so far this season for that organization. Uh, Vargas has a best finish of 18th from the season opener at Daytona. So the rookie standings could uh, bounce around a little. Yeah, I, I love it. I mean, uh, Ty Gibbs come out so strong, and we thought it might even be a blowaway, but Josh Berry has worked his way back up there. And Ryan Vargas, again, he's running all year. The other two, as we know so far, as it is right now, uh, partial schedule, so could come into play down the road. And then Sam Mayer, once he starts running, another one that I think could come out strong once he gets his start. So we'll keep an eye on that. Now, Definitely. I mentioned this earlier, but... Uh, the money has been on the line the past couple of weeks, and it's been shown to Noah Gregson as he is going for the first ever Dash for Cash season sweep. Uh, for the first time in the NASCAR Xfinity Series Dash for Cash program's history, 
a driver has a chance to sweep all four of the program's rounds in a single season and win a total of $400,000 in bonus money. Our junior motorsports Noah Gregson from Las Vegas, Nevada, has won the last three Dash for Cash awards this season, banking at $300,000 already, and heads to Dover International Speedway this weekend for the final round and a chance at getting the first ever Dash for Cash sweep. The Xfinity Series Dash for Cash program was designed to add elements of unpredictability and drama leading up to and during four designated races, increase on-track competition, and engage fans and reward and recognize the NASCAR Xfinity Series regular competitors. Since going to a multi-round format back in 2011, no driver has swept every round in a single season. Uh, Prior to Gregson winning the three Dash for Cash rounds and coming at Martinsville, Talladega, and Darlington in one season this year, only seven drivers had won multiple rounds in a single season. Uh, Reed Sorensen, wow, we've got some history here. Reed Sorensen in 2011 did two at Daytona and Iowa. Elliot Sadler in 2013 did it at Daytona and Chicago. Regan Smith in 15 got his at Dover and Indianapolis. Eric Jones in 2016 picked up Bristol and Dover. Justin Algar in 17 was Phoenix and Richmond. Christopher Bell in 2019 did Bristol and Dover. And Ross Jastain last year, 2020, picked up Atlanta and Pocono. Now, this year, the Xfinity Series Dash for Cash uh, taking place at four tracks. It was Martinsville Speedway on April 9th, Talladega Super Speedway on the 24th, Darlington Raceway this past weekend, May 8th, and now Dover International Speedway coming up this weekend, May 15th. So this will mark the final installment of this year's program. And it's Gregson and the three highest finishing full-time Xfinity Series drivers from Darlington Raceway, which were Justin Algar, who finished first, Josh Berry, second, uh, and Brandon Jones, who finished third, uh, will compete at Dover for that final prize. And I will point out there that Junior Motorsports uh, has a three out of four chance of picking it up with Justin Algar, Josh Berry, and uh, Noah Gregson. Uh, so you got a little bit on each of the drivers here. Noah Gregson, he'll be making his sixth start this weekend uh, at Dover, the Monster Mile. He has one top five finish and four top tens to his name with an average start of 6.4, an average finish of 8.6. His best finish came at this exact race last season after starting second and finishing fourth. He's led a total of 38 laps at Dover. Now, this weekend will be Justin Algar's 21st Xfinity Series start at Dover, as he has two wins coming in 2018 and 2020, nine top fives and 13 top tens at the track. He's led a total of 353 laps. Brandon Jones, he'll be making his 11th start at Dover on Saturday. He has one top five and four top tens at the track and led a total of 45 laps. His best finish came at the second race of Dover last season where he finished fourth. Rookie Josh Berry, he's a rookie, so he's going to be making his Xfinity Series debut at Dover, but don't count him out. We've seen what he can do so far this year, rookie or not. Grow up here if you want to look at uh, 
they're gearing up to the Monster Mile. Okay, the I'm NASCAR here, Jay. Okay, okay. I'm I'm having a problem with my mute button tonight. Uh, gearing up sticking for the a little bit, huh? <laughs> uh, gearing up for the Monster Mile. The NASCAR Xfinity Series heads to Dover International Speedway this weekend for the Driving 200 on Saturday, May the 15th. Now, last weekend, Justin Algauer took home his second victory of the season at Darlington Raceway for the throwback weekend, while his junior motorsports teammate, Noah Gregson, grabbed the Dash for Cash prize. His third Dash for Cash $100,000 bonus in a row, bringing his total to 300000 this year. As the series heads to Dover this weekend, look for Algauer to keep a recent momentum on his side as he is the defending winner of this weekend's race at the Monster Mile. It was a doubleheader event last season at Dover for the Xfinity Series, with Algauer winning the first race and Austin Sindrick finished in second. Ross Chastain finished third, Gregson fourth, and Harrison Burton finishing in fifth. The race had six cautions for 27 laps and an average speed of 110.142 miles per hour. There were six lead changes, and Algauer led a race-high 120 laps. Rolling into this weekend at Dover, Cindric has the best pre-race driver rating at the Monster Mile with 114.2, and Algauer has the third best at 106.0. Hemrick is fourth on the list at 103.8, and Gregson is fifth at 101.9. Algauer holds the top spot in fastest laps run at the track with 246 fastest laps run. Cedric is behind him in second at 116 fastest laps run. Uh, Then we've got, there have been 74 Xfinity Series races at Dover with 48 different pole winners. Bubba Wallace is the youngest pole winner at the track in 2012 when he was 18 years, 11 months, and 21 days old. The oldest pole winner is Dick Trickle in 1999 at 57 years, 7 months, and 9 days. Of the 74 races at Dover, there have been 50 different race winners, and only eight races have been won from the pole or the first starting position. The last race won from the pole was in 2017 by Kyle Larson. Joey Logano holds the race record at 131.219 miles per hour in 2013, and Eric Jones holds the qualifying record at 158.318 miles per hour in 2016. Kyle Busch has the most Xfinity Series wins at Dover with five and the most top tens with 15. Algauer, on the other hand, has the most lap, lead lap finishes at 16, and Kyle Busch has the most laps led at 1,349. This week, Hemrick will start on the pole at Dover for the driving 200 with Algauer next to him on the front row. Then it will be Gregson, Jones, Burton rounding out the top five. They don't say which Burton. I'm assuming that's Harrison. Uh, Then Barry, A.J. Allmendinger, Jeremy Clements, 
Justin Haley and Brett Moffat will occupy the first 10 starting spots. Is that Jeb or Harrison, Jay? No, I, I would have to agree. I think I think it's Harrison because uh, your point standings as well as your finish there uh, from the previous oh, okay. week all come into play. And I think Harrison has the advantage. Jeb had a little bit of a rough week. Oh, okay. So I'm pretty sure, yeah, that that is Harrison that uh, is in that spot. So, uh, again, a lot to look forward to at this race. Uh, it sounds like there's, uh, you know, we've got the defending winner from last year with uh, A.J. Al- Al- uh, with Algauer, Justin Algauer, but also Cindric is a defending winner from last year. Definitely going to be interesting, and I know I looked at the stats, and I believe those were the top two when it came to making our fantasy picks. Um, I still have faith in Noah Gregson, but I think he's going to have his work cut out for him, that's for sure. Okay. Well, the next race is going to be the NASCAR Cup Series Driving 400 race at Dover International Speedway, and that race will take place on Sunday, May the 16th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, Pre-race coverage starts at 12.30 and Fox Sports 1, and then also MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing 400 miles over 400 laps. Stage 1 means on lap 120, stage 2 on lap 240, and the final stage ends on the last lap, lap 400. So uh, there's a lot uh, going on in the Cup Series. Well, there is, and a lot lot of it revolves around the military as we start getting into May and the Memorial Day weekend coming up. But NASCAR salutes uh, Kurt Busch, the dedication ceremony at the USS Dunham Mayport Naval Station. Uh, this week, Chip Ganassi Racing driver Kurt Busch, along with officials from the USS Jason Dunham, or the DDG, DDG 109, uh, unveiled the name of fallen service member, U.S. Marine Corporal Jason Dunham, whose name will be adorned on the windshield in the number one gear rent Chevrolet as part of the NASCAR Salutes program. As a result of his selfless and heroic actions to save the lives of other Marines, while serving in Iraq, Dunham was posthumously awarded the Medal of Honor by President George Bush, back, George W. Bush, back in 2004. He was 22 at the time of his death, and the award was the first Medal of Honor to be awarded to a United States Marine since the Vietnam War. Now, later this month, uh, the number one gear wrench Chevrolet Camaro that Bush will pilot in the Coca-Cola 600 at Charlotte Motor Speedway on May 30th will carry the name of Corporal Dunham as part of the NASCAR Salutes 600 Miles of Remembrance. Through collaboration with the CGR team partners Goodwrench and the American Legion, Dunham's family gave the blessing to use this event to honor their son and brother by carrying his name on the number one Chevy uh, from uh, Chip Ganassi Racing. You mentioned Bush is a previous winner of NASCAR's longest race as he won the event back in 2010. Wow. Okay, also the reigning Rolex 24 LPM2 champion, 
Kyle Tilly is making his NASCAR Cup Series debut with Live Fast Motorsports at Coda. Now, Kyle Tilly, reigning 20, Rolex 24 LP, LMP2 champion and Asian Le Mans Series program champion, is making his NASCAR Series debut at the Circuit of Americas on May 23rd this year with Live Fast Motorsports. Tilly, who is currently competing in IMSA, the Asian Le Mans Series, and the European Le Mans Series, and competes across the world in a multitude of different cars, from current LPM prototypes to vintage Formula One cars, is now adding four NASCAR Cup Series races to his schedule this year. So Tilly's Cup Series schedule is as follows. Uh, starts at the Circuit of the Americas on May the 23rd. He'll be at Road America on July 4th, Watkins Glen International on August 8th, and Indianapolis Motor Speedway's road course on August the 15th. This weekend at Dover International Speedway, the Live Fast Motorsports number 78 Ford will be piloted by B.J. McLeod. The 78 team will start 31st at Dover on Sunday. Well, we've talked about the opportunities these road courses are going to prevent, and I think that's a big one that we're going to see uh, a team like uh, Live Fast Motorsports take advantage of uh, to bring in a driver yes. of that caliber is amazing. It is. Now, the, the, the Coca-Cola racing family driver, Ryan Newman, he's going to visit Camp Lejeune and train with the Marsoc this week as part of the Charlotte Motor Speedway's Mission 600 Coca-Cola family racing driver Ryan Newman visited Camp Lejeune to learn from and train alongside members of the U.S. Marine Corps Forces Special Operations Command, which is what the MARSOC is. The day-long visit serves as a prelude to the upcoming Coca-Cola 600 on Memorial Day weekend and to highlight the shared connections between NASCAR and the U.S. Armed Forces. Another one of the great opportunities that we have, I know this weekend especially, they do a lot with the military, and I am proud to see that. Yeah, we'll probably see a lot of that next weekend as well as we get closer to Memorial Day. Okay, the countdown to the NASCAR All-Stars race, whose name will be added next? Now, time is ticking, and June 13th will be here before you know it for this season's NASCAR All-Star Race at Texas Motor Speedway. With the format announced and the current 17 eligible drivers already locked in, who will add their name to the list over the next four races, uh, which includes Dover, Coda, Charlotte, and Sonoma. Those eligible for the NASCAR All-Star Race include drivers who won a points event in either 2020 or 2021, drivers who won a NASCAR All-Star Race and compete full-time, and drivers who won a NASCAR Cup Series Championship and compete full-time. Drivers who've already clinched an All-Star Race spot this season are Christopher Bell, Ryan Blaney, Alex Bowman, Kurt Busch, Kyle Busch, William Byron, Cole Custer, Austin Dillon, Chase Elliott, Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick, Brad Keselowski, Kyle Larson, Joey Logano, Michael McDowell, Ryan Newman, and Martin Truex Jr. 
This weekend at Dover International Speedway, nine active former Monster Mile winners are entered, and all nine have secured their eligibility in the all-star race. The four former Xfinity Series Dover winners are entered this weekend, and they're looking to earn their way to the All-Star and playoffs with a win this weekend. That would include Chase Briscoe, who won uh, there in 2020, Chris Buescher won there in 2015, Daniel Suarez in 2016, Eric Jones, and they misspelled his name, Eric Jones in 2016, plus two former NASCAR Camping World Truck Series Dover winners are entered this weekend, hungry for their first win of the year. That would include Tyler Reddick, who won in 2015, and Eric Almarola, who won in 2010. Only two Cup Series drivers have posted their first career win at Dover, and that would be Martin Truex Jr., who did it June 4th of 2007, and Jody Ridley, uh, won there on May 17th of 1981, getting his first victory at the track. So that's pretty cool stuff there. Wow, a Jody Ridley and a Dick Trickle reference. That's just, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to look at the playoff bubble here on the Cup Series side. Uh, the points are so tight that a tiebreaker is needed along the playoff cut line. And we got 12 races into the NASCAR Cup Series regular season, and the points around the playoff cut line are so mighty close. So close that the NASCAR Cup Series needed a tiebreaker to decide who's in, who's out following Darlington. And when the checkered flag uh, flew at Darlington Raceway last Sunday, Richard Childress Racing's Tyler Reddick and Wood Brothers Racing's Matt DiBendedetto ended up tied in points at 268. That's along the playoff cut line in 16th and 17th, respectively. Currently holds the tiebreaker of a best finish with a runner-up back at Homestead Miami Speedway compared to Matt DiBenedetto's best finish this season of fourth at Kansas Speedway. Now the series turns its attention to Dover International Speedway, the halfway point of the regular season, and teams need to start considering that a win might be their only option to make this postseason. With 13 races to go and several big names left without a win, time and playoff spot availability and conspiring against those competitors still looking to seal their position in the playoffs. The 2017 NASCAR Cup Series Championship Martin Tru- or champion Martin Truex Jr., added to his 2021 season wins total last weekend at Darlington Raceway, getting his third victory of the year. Now heading to Dover this weekend, 10 drivers have locked themselves into the playoffs on wins, leaving one spot secured for the series uh, driver's standings points leader, which is currently Denny Hamlin, and then five additional spots up for grabs by virtue of a win or points position. So when we look at it, Denny Hamlin is listed as a 2021 driver playoff outlook following race 12. The driver's not locked. Denny Hamlin technically is not locked in, but he's got 529 points compared to Kevin Harvick at 385. So looking pretty good. He's 261 points above the cut line. Harvick is at only 117 points above. 
Chase Elliott is at 382, 114 to the good. Austin Dillon at 316, 48 to the good. Here's where it gets intense. 15th is Chris Busher at 287, 19 points to the good. Tyler Reddick is the cut line, and he's no points to the good, as we talked about. Matt DiBenedetto tied with him. Tyler Reddick gets the uh, tiebreaker. Behind the line, behind Matt DiBenedetto, you got Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is 19 back. Ryan Newman, 22 back. Kurt Busch, 28 back. And those are you got some drivers that have won before. Then you got 21st. Bubba Wallace is 45 back. Ross Chastain, 50. Daniel Suarez, minus 54. We've seen him up top five running. Ryan Priest is 59. Chase Briscoe, 70 back. Here's some interesting ones as well. We're in 26. Cole Custer is 76 points back, but is a previous winner. Eric Jones, 188, 80 back, previous winner. Eric Almarola, 100 points back, but a previous winner. And then 29th and 30th is rookie Anthony Alfredo and Corey LaJoy at 143 and 152 back because you got to do got to also be in the top 30 for a win to even be uh, count. Now, interestingly, the top three winners from last season in the NASCAR Cup Series combining to win 21 of 36 races, or 58.3%, uh, Kevin Harvick, nine wins, Denny Hamlin, seven wins, and Chase Elliott, five wins, they're all still looking for their first trip to victory lane this season. All three have won at Dover International Speedway, including last season when both Denny Hamlin in race one and Kevin Harvick in race two each won. Now, Elliott grabbed his lone victory at the Monster Mile back in 2018. So some interesting things going on this year in what they're calling the best season ever. Uh, we're definitely seeing it play out on track. Yes, indeed. Uh, and talking about the series point standings, the standings leader, Denny Hamlin, remains winless through the first dozen races of this year. Joe Gibbs Racing, Denny Hamlin has become the first driver standings leader in the, the NASCAR Series Cup Series playoff era from 2004 to 21 to compete in the first 12 races of a season and not win a race. Hamlin is the defending winner of this weekend's race at Dover International Speedway and is hoping to end his winless streak that has reached 17 events dating back to Talladega on October 4th of 2020. And he wants to etch his name on that 2021 wins list. Uh, Right now, let's see. Uh, the point standings leader following the 12th race of the playoff era from 2004 to 2021. Uh, that would be in 2021 is Denny Hamlin. He has zero wins, uh, and he's 75 points over second. In 2020, Kevin Harvick had two wins at this point, eight points over second place. Then in 19, Joey Logano had one win. He was nine points over second. Uh, in 2018, Kyle Larson had three wins and was just 12 points over second. Uh, in 2017, Martin Truex Jr. had two wins, and he is five points 
over second place. 2016, it was Kevin Harvick, uh, one win and 21 points over second place. And it was Kevin Harvick again in 2015 with two wins and 41 points over second place. Uh, Then you've got Jeff Gordon in 2014, one win and 11 points over second. Jimmy Johnson the next year, 2013, at two wins and 32 points over second. 2012, Greg Biffle had one win and 10 points over second. 2011, Carl Edwards had one win and 36 points over second place. In 2010, it was Kevin Harvick again, one win and 69 points over second place. In in 2009, it was Jeff Gordon with one win and 44 points over first, over second. In 2008, it was Kyle Busch with three wins and 94 points over second. And in 2007, again, it was Jeff Gordon with three wins and 132 points over second. And then the next two years are Jimmy Johnson, 2006 and five. He had three wins in six and two wins in five. He was 190 point, 109 points over second uh, in 2006 and 71 points over second in 2005. And then in 2004, it was Dale Earnhardt Jr. with three wins and just five points separating him from second place. Though Hamlin has yet to win this season, he has been very consistent, pulling up nine top five finishes and 12 starts. He right now holds a 75-point lead in the Cup Series driver standings on his Joe Gibbs Racing teammate, who is Martin Truex Jr., who is in second. Last season, Denny Hamlin put on a dominating performance at Dover, leading a race-high 115 laps, winning both stages and grabbing his first career Monster Mile win. Hamlin has made 30 starts at Dover, uh, series starts at Dover, collecting four poles, one win, six top fives, and 13 top tens. If Hamlin happens to remain winless for the rest of the regular season, he will become the first NASCAR Cup Series driver standings point leader to make the postseason without a win. So that's pretty interesting. I'm hoping that he can kind of break that uh, discussion this weekend with a victory at Dover. Well, and you know, you know me. I'm a I'm a gambling person. I really would like to see the preseason odds of that of those three drivers <laughs> not having a win this far into the season because you're talking about some money there. <laughs> well, it could go either way. Yeah. Now, got a monster of a good time ahead here coming up at the Cup Series hits Dover. Again, it is the thirteenth uh, race. It'll be the Sunday's Dryden 400. Aptly named the Monster Mile, Dover International Speedway is a one-mile concrete paved oval located in Dover, Delaware. And Dover International Speedway, originally known, known as Dover Downs International Speedway, has hosted a total of 102 NASCAR Cup Series races dating back to the inaugural event on July 6, 1969. That first Dover race was won by NASCAR Hall of Famer Richard Petty, driving a Petty Enterprises Ford at 115 mile, 115.772 miles per hour, or two point. So the race took two hours, 35 minutes, and 28 
second. Now, Petty actually won the first two cup events at the track, 1969 and 70. In total, the 102 NASCAR Cup Series races at Dover have produced 42 different pole winners, 38 different race winners. That NASCAR Hall of Famer David Pearson leads the series in poles at Dover with six in 1969, a 73-sweep, and then 74, 75, and 81. Ryan Newman in 03, 05, 06, and 07, and Danny Hamlin in 12, 13, 15, and 19 currently lead all active series drivers in poles at Dover with four each. And recently retired driver Jimmy Johnson holds the series record for most wins at Dover with 11. He had a 2002 sweep, the 2005 playoff races, a 2009 sweep, 2010 it was the playoffs, the spring of 2012, the 2013 playoffs, the spring of 2014 and 15, and then it was well as the spring of 2017. Now, of the 38 different Cup Series winners at Dover International Speedway, nine are active this weekend. Four drivers tied with the most among the active drivers, Kevin Harvick, Martin Truex Jr., Kyle Busch, and Ryan Newman, each have three wins. Harvick's came in 2020, 18 and 15. Truex is 19, 16, and 07. Kyle Busch is 2017, 10, and 2008. Ryan Newman, you got 2004 and a 2003 sweep. Danny Hamlin got his first there last year, 2020. Kyle Larson got his in 2019. Chase Elliott, we mentioned, got his in 18. Brad Keselowski goes back to 2012, and then Kurt Busch, we mentioned, back in 2011. So to recap, the weekend's Dryden 400 will be 400 laps or 400 miles broken up into the three stages. The first two stages, 120 laps each, and the final stage of 160 laps. Now, since the inception of stage racing in the Cup Series back in 2017, six different drivers have won at least one stage at Dover, led by Kevin Harvick, who has six stage wins, followed by Martin Truex Jr. with four, Denny Hamlin three, and Brad Keselowski, Joy Logano, and Kyle Larson each have one. Hamlin and Harvick swept both stages en route to their wins last season at Dover. Sunday's Dryden 400 will set the starting lineup by the metric qualifying. As a result, it'll be Joe Gibbs Racing's teammates Martin Truex Jr. on the pole. Denny Hamlin will start second uh, outside the front row. Hamlin should feel quite fortuitous, though, starting in the second position this weekend. It It is the most proficient starting position in the field, producing 20, which is the most wins of any starting percentage or starting position. The winning percentage for it is 19.61%, and it's the same starting position he won from last season. So, a couple of things going in Denny Hamlin's favor. Uh, we know he's—I firmly believe he's going to win here before the regular season ends. I don't see him going into the postseason without a win. I really don't. <laughs> yeah. It, it, He's had been very, very consistent all season long, and I don't see it being any different uh, this weekend at Dover. So uh, definitely uh, looking forward to this race on Sunday. Okay. Um, We've got a few minutes here. Uh, Another race that's going to be taking place here 
uh, is the SRL, and uh, we've been following them a little bit more this year. Uh, they have their own racing TV, so if you want to watch some of these races, I would encourage you to go to the srlsouthwesttour.com, uh, and uh, you can see that they've got Spears Racing TV right there. Um, the big money race is on tap for the Spears Pro Late Models at Stockton Speedway, and uh, they are, they're proud to announce the biggest race in series young history. On October 2nd at Stockton Speedway, the series will run a 166-lap event, paying 15000 to win and 400 to start. The idea for the event was initiated by Jeff and Alan Bishop Berger, and with their support, the race was brought to Stockton Speedway. So that's something for fans to look forward to in that Pro Late Model Series. Uh, that 15000 payout is pretty, pretty decent for those type of races. It most certainly is, and you're right. It's going to draw a lot of attention. Uh, we've seen some of the bigger events that we covered already uh, out west, uh, the names that, that that type of event does draw. It does. Now, in between now and then, though, they'll be back in action May 22nd at All-American Speedway. That's next weekend. Uh, the race is the first of two trips to Roseville, California, for the series this year. Former Spears Southwest Tour Series champion and rookie of the year, Jeremy Goss, leads the point standings over Tyler Reese and Dylan Zampa. We did have Dylan Zampa on the show earlier this year as well. So uh, something to look forward to there with the SRL coming up next weekend. So uh, just a couple of highlights there, Jay. And I know I get a chance to overhear from Sal if he's going to be out there or not. If uh, if he is, you can always check out the photographs from uh, Sal. No, we lost you, Jay. Okay, I think what he was starting to say there is that uh, the photographs uh, of Sal Segala are always posted on his uh, Twitter and Facebook pages. Uh, I believe he's Sal Segala Jr. on Facebook. And uh, if you're not already following him, you'll want to do so because he always does a great job of uh, capturing the action and uh, taking photographs of the drivers at the track. So hopefully Jay is going to be able to uh, come back and join us here uh, for our Hot Topic Sound Off, uh, which should be starting here shortly uh, in just a couple of minutes. We've got a lot of hot topics to talk about tonight. Uh, And unfortunately, a lot of our members are not available But uh, in addition to Jay and myself, uh, we should have uh, Tommy Kraft available as well to discuss our NASCAR hot topics for tonight. Uh, So, again, I'm waiting for Jay to call back in. I hope he's able to do so uh, because we've got a lot to talk about here on hot topics tonight. All right. 
So there he is. We'll bring him into the queue, and uh, hopefully he'll be able to. There he is. Jay, welcome back. (laughs) I was going to say, I I don't care if i got to find a rotary phone. I wasn't missing hot topics for the second time in a row. (laughs) Oh, I was going to say, right now, because Mike's not available, Andy contacted me. He's not available tonight, but we do have Tommy tonight. Uh, Owen is usually only available on Mondays, so it's just going to be the three of us on Hot Topics tonight, Jay. All right. Well, I always enjoy having Tommy here. I know he's been getting more and more involved, and we love to have him here. Yes. Yes, indeed. Um, And uh, he always looks forward to it as well. Uh, But uh, we are at the top of the hour. Do you want to go ahead and start us off with the first topic, and Tommy will join in when he arrives. Okay. Well, actually, if you don't mind, uh, if Tommy's not here yet, uh, can I go back to one I didn't get to talk about Monday night, uh, the free pass sure. from Bubba Wallace? I imagine you guys talked about that one. I can't remember, to be honest. <laughs> um, NASCAR made the decision that uh, Bubba Wallace was involved in the caution that brought out, uh, it, I think it ended up being Kurt Busch who uh, ended up as the, the car that stopped and was on fire, but... They said that Bubba Wallace is racing with him, and contact is what helped bring about the caution, and so they wouldn't give him the free pass. They initially were granting it to him and then took it away from it. And that that kind of bothered me to a certain level. I mean, I understand if you intentionally do something to bring out the caution, but Kurt Busch... Bubba Wallace and Matt Benedetto, I believe, were all three racing real hard. And and the example that come to my mind was that if you're rubbing on somebody and then a tire gets cut down and they they have the flat tire, in this case it would have been Kurt Busch, is the caution, you know, how do you penalize them? I, I didn't like the fact that, and I understand it was a judgment call, they said that, but they felt like that his uh, aggressiveness and then that leading to Kurt Busch having a problem that they wouldn't give it to him. And I, I just, I, I don't agree with that. And I know uh, Jeff Gordon and Clint Boyer both in the booth didn't either on the broadcast, the television broadcast. Okay. Tommy is here now. So first of all, welcome, Tommy. Uh, I think you've heard what our first hot topic is for tonight. Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, thanks for having me back. Um, So I did see this a little bit. I was hoping to catch a little bit of it on Door Bumper uh, Clear, but they haven't put it on YouTube yet, so I haven't really seen that yet. But um, it's just kind of weird that they NASCAR is kind of switching, like, the calls mid-race and everything. Like, there was the Kansas Tire thing last week, and then there's this week uh, or this this previous week uh, with Bubba Wallace where they – didn't call it and then reversed it and did call it. So um, it's it's just there's being kind of well, it's kind of familiar with NASCAR. You know, they're kind of uh, kind of like this. They're kind of unpredictable, but at the same time, he was involved in the crash. So therefore, I understand why they didn't give him the free pass because he he was in it. So that's my thoughts on that, but I'm looking forward to seeing it on Door Bumper Clear uh, on YouTube if they ever post it on there, but maybe I can find it on Twitter. I can't find it. 
Okay. I, um, I'm a little confused by this because I think from the beginning, NASCAR's always kind of said that if you're involved in the accident that caused the caution, that that eliminates you from getting the free pass. And I thought that was the case always. So I didn't see anything different about it. I was a little surprised that Clint Boyer and Jeff Gordon uh, thought that there was something different there. But I I always thought that was the rule. Uh, Anytime you're involved in the accident that caused the caution, you're not supposed to get the free pass. So I don't know why I'm the only one who seems to think that, but (laughs) I always thought that was the rule. So, Jay, what are your thoughts? That That is how it is worded, yes. Uh, in this case, they were side-by-side racing. There was no even door slamming that caused Kurt Busch's problem. Uh, that normally refers to, and we have seen this in the past, where if you bump the guy in front of you and then they spin out and the caution's on them, but you're the one that hit them, this wasn't a case of that. It was side-by-side uh, racing. And I don't know exactly what Kurt Busch's uh, – now, Kurt said he got run over. I I disagree with that because – and, again, Matt DiBenedetto was a third party involved in that. To me, then, it's almost that you're, you're going to put it uh, on all three of them. And I understand Matt DiBenedetto wasn't in the case of uh, looking for the free pass, but this was one where I don't believe there was as much as we have seen in the past and in situations where we've seen that of, yeah, you, you run into somebody uh, from behind and then they spin, you drive on, gets you in the free free pass position, I understand them making that call. This one seemed awful uh, liberal with that judgment call, if you will, uh, especially with the fact, like Tommy said, they changed it. They initially were giving him the free pass, and then it was, uh, I don't know, time-wise, uh, I think it was like, three to four minutes, and I was following it on uh, Bob Pockers' Twitter when they changed their mind and took it back away from them. Um, coincidentally, it seemed to be after Kurt Busch's interview where he said he got run over. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that played mm-hmm. into it that Kurt made the statement he had gotten run over. So, you know, and, so and I don't... Has there any comment from NASCAR, Jay? They did because they clarified that in their their judgment. I think Mike has it on the on the group chat of, uh, yeah. It says they talked about the rule on air, the important words. It says in NASCAR's judgment and involved. Uh, it doesn't require the car to actually have caused the caution, just to be involved. So, like I said, in, I in that case, they were, yeah, they were racing side by side. You can't even say Bubba caused it. And I think that's where the, the the target or intent of it is, is you cannot cause a caution, whether it be spinning out by yourself, uh, throwing something out the window, or causing another car to wreck and thus bringing out the caution. I don't feel like that was the case here with Bubba Wallace. They were just racing hard. It ended up Kurt had a problem, brought out the cautions. Bubba Wallace was in the free pass position. Um I also don't like, you know, I don't want to see them go to another extreme. A lot of dirt track races that I've seen have what they call a no-fault caution. Is If you're the car that stops for whatever the reason uh, that you're the caution, or you're the one that goes to the rear of the field. That means even if another car is sitting sideways in the track, if you stop to avoid hitting them, 
you have to go to the back. So your only choice is to plow through them and keep your car moving. I don't like that because we see drivers take advantage of that and they yep. will plow into somebody, put them in the wall, and make sure their car keeps going and they get the caution they want but not be it or have to go to the rear of the field. So I understand the rule that, that is there and why they have it. I just don't feel like in this case Bubba Wallace was truly at fault, which as the rule says, it doesn't say you have to be at fault, just involved. But to me, racing is racing. You know, if you're racing, then it's not an issue. If you cause it, I understand. I just don't feel like Bubba Wallace caused that caution. Okay, Tommy, your thoughts? From what I remember, what I saw in the replay, it it looked like they were coming off of turn uh, three and onto the straightaway, and Kurt Busch and the Benedetto were beside each other, and Bubba Wallace was kind of beside the Benedetto and um, behind Kurt Busch. But um, I'm on – I agree with Sharon because that's what I saw too was he was involved in the wreck, and that's why his – he was not allowed to get the free pass. Uh, but I still do think it is weird that they said he had it, and then a couple minutes later they didn't let him have it. So that that's it's just the unpredictability part that NASCAR is doing, like the caution with the tire and everything. But they are coming back, though, and the rules are the rules because with the tire thing, like Gordon said, it was – they have to let the green flag pit stop cycle through, and then they will they'll throw the flag. So, but that's what they did. So, I mean, they're doing it, but at the same time, it just seems, you know, kind of unpredictable. But I'm ready to hear what Freddie Kraft has to say on door bumper clear because that's uh, Bubba's uh, spotter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 um, I, I see what you guys are talking about. If it took him, what would you say, four minutes? in between the call. They called it one way and then they reversed it. That is odd because whoever is making those calls should know that. And I would say that that's an error in whoever is supposed to be making those calls. They should have known that that's the rule. As you said, Jay, they don't have to have caused it. They just have to be involved in it. And that's the way the rule is stated. Now, if we want to advocate for a rules change on that, I can I can go with that. But right now, the rule says that if they're involved, that they don't get the free pass. So I, I think that there's two things there uh, that uh, probably need to be discussed, and that is, one, why did the, the person making that call not make the correct call to begin with? And number two, uh, do we need a rules change uh, going forward? Jay, your thoughts? Yeah, well, and, and, I, and I, I hate to agree with Mike, but even if you write the rule to say you cause the caution, you may not have been the caution, but you caused it, that still leaves that judgment call of did you cause it by bumping into them, did you cause it by running them up the track, you know, so that there's still going to be that slight Is that the rule, though? I, I always thought it was involved, not no, that you had Right, that's what I'm saying. That, right, okay. So even if you change the rule from involved to cause, uh, change the I wording see. of it to be involved in the crash, to change it to cause the caution, um, it's still a judgment call. And that's, you know, none of us like that when it's a judgment call. 
understand there's certain aspects to it that require that. Um, it always seems to me, though, that NASCAR has been on the side, unless it is blatantly obvious, a driver admits it, or to that effect, they won't make that call. And it just seemed like this was one where all of a sudden they made that judgment call, uh, and not even initially, because initially they were giving it to them. They either changed their mind or reread the rule and decided they had to go back to it. I don't know. Um, but there was the change in it, and that's what leads that opening that window of, hey, what's really going on? True. So true. Okay, Tommy, what would you like to bring up as the next topic? Uh, let's go with um, the Noah Gregson penalty and uh, it being appealed and actually uh, being reversed. Okay, Jay. Of of all nights for Mike not to be be here. I know. <laughs> I, I truly right. Uh, no, he he was as shocked as I was. Uh, I really didn't think it was going to get overturned. I saw when they announced it, and I put it up there. Uh, you know, Mike was the one polite enough to make sure I was aware that he had gotten the penalty because that put me back to zero points in our fantasy group. But I guess I got the last laugh there as I got to add those back in today. Uh, we don't see very many, and I don't know if uh, if anybody has the stats on how many penalties like that are overturned. Um, and I'm not on the board. I don't know. Exa- I'm not a tech guy, so they know exactly what it was. It had something to do in the rear end that something allowed more flex. I don't know if flex is the word they use. Let me see if I can pull it up. But um, some movement in the rear end that they did like, but. And I know Sharon, you shared it. How did, how is that worded of of what their reasoning was for overturning it? Yeah. Let me see if I can get back to that. I don't know if it's still available up here. Um, here. There was. Okay, I got. There. Okay. Uh, Bob Pockris, It was the the final appeals officer. Roger Warner was the one who conducted the hearing. He determined that the appellants. Appellants did not violate the rule or rules set forth in the penalty notice and that the original penalty uh, assessed by NASCAR is rescinded and his decision is the final one. Um, so, and, that, and that brought up a separate question for me. If NASCAR just worded wrong what, they, what their penalty was and what they were issuing the penalty for, so they may... That one left it, to me, left it in my mind open of, well, they may have been cheating, but it wasn't what NASCAR penalized them for, that whatever NASCAR wrote down and said, this is the penalty we're giving you for this reason, it it almost sounded like they said, okay, that's not what he was doing wrong. Whether he was doing something else wrong doesn't matter. He wasn't doing that wrong, and that's Mm -hmm. why it got overturned. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I kind of picked up from it, too. This Roger Warner, by the way, used to be an ESPN exec and is very knowledgeable, I guess, about NASCAR and their rules. Um, but this makes me wonder how knowledgeable he actually is because he says that the appellants did not violate the rules set forth in the penalty notice. So how did he determine that? That's what I guess my question is. Because NASCAR obviously said that he did violate it uh, when they did their post-race inspection. So I just wish there was a little bit 
they don't have to and they're not obligated to tell us, but I wish that they were uh, obligated to tell us because to just say that the appellants did not violate the rules set forth in the penalty notice doesn't seem, it, there, there has to be some justification for that in my mind. <laughs> Um, and and I know as fans, we always like to know these things, but, again, they're just not obligated to tell us. Uh, the original penalty uh, assessed by NASCAR is rescinded. So the other question I had there is, did NASCAR rescind it, or was that, are they just saying that they are rescinding the, the penalty that was uh put out by NASCAR, they're rescinding it now. Um, and I guess that's what they're saying, but it almost sounds like NASCAR rescinded it. Um, I just think there needs to be more explanation because this is a little bit confusing. Tommy, your thoughts? I'm just surprised that they reversed the call because I don't, I, I don't remember the exact tweet, but I feel like it was Bob Hawcrass or somebody. But they tweeted that um, this was the first time a call has been reversed since uh, Xfinity or Trucks car in like 2020 or 2019 or maybe even 2018. But it, and it was a name I didn't really recognize, so that's probably why I don't really re- remember it. But either way, they they just don't make this call often where they reverse it. Um, and then once again, this just is going back to what I was saying earlier, you know, with NASCAR, the kind of the unpredictability stuff. I mean, sometimes they share information with us more often than, you know, and then other times they don't. So they're not really sharing anything here. So it's it's just, you know, kind of frustrating because we don't know why it was reversed or what the call was or anything. But like you said, they don't have to tell us anything, so... It's kind of a privilege when they do, but, you know, there just should be a little bit more detail, and like you said, an explanation. But uh, I'm just surprised that they reversed it. That's pretty much all I have to say about this. Uh, Jay? Uh-oh. I hope we didn't lose Jay. Okay, I've got him here. Okay, Jay. Uh yeah, you did, but I came back. I guess you didn't have me unmuted yet. Um, you both hit on something there that you're right. This is one of those that it seems like NASCAR isn't releasing all the information. And Tommy said it; they don't have to, but we've seen in the past NASCAR has changed their stance on that. You know, it used to be Bill France rule with an iron fist, my way or get out, and that mm-hmm. didn't uh, wasn't productive long term. Um, so we've seen that change, but we still have these moments like that like this where it does seem as if not all the information is there and that just leads to in this day and age the outbreak on social media and I know I commented to Mike right away you could hear it as soon as that announcement was made uh, some fans are obviously not going to complain because they're they're junior fans and junior motorsports fans Mm -hmm. but there are those that are pointing the finger saying oh it only got overturned or rescinded because it was juniors team and you hate to see something like that my hope is that NASCAR and this appeal court or appeal process separates itself from that and that isn't a factor. But situations like this when all the information isn't released, that's what gives these keyboard hackers that, that ability to 
<laughs> target it for that reason. If it's black and white and you can say, hey, we pulled it because we did this, we made a mistake, or, hey, the appeal court said, hey, he didn't violate that rule like we thought he did, it's black and white and all the information is there, your warriors like that got no way to attack. You know, it's black and white. Yeah, I, I just wish that there was some explanation, and that would be the change that I would make, is that if you're going to uh, overturn the penalty, tell us why you overturned it. Uh, and don't give us the general statement of it didn't, it wasn't a violation uh, according to the penalty. Uh, how did they say it again? Let me see if I can find it here again. Uh, the appellants did not violate the rule set forth in the penalty notice. So did they violate a different rule? <laughs> I, 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 there has to be more explanation there. So I, I, I just am not happy with that explanation, and I wish they would give us more detail. And that would be a change that I would like to see when it comes to something like this. Because like you said, Jay, it leads people to think all kinds of things that probably are not true. I don't think that it, that it was overturned just because it was junior motorsports, uh, but I, it does leave that door open. And you would think NASCAR would want to try to avoid that. So, Tommy, what are your final thoughts? I was going to say, I was seeing that on Twitter, too. Like, some of the top comments I was seeing were, this is so black and white. Why isn't there more of an explanation? Why does NASCAR do this? Why do they share information sometimes? Why do they not others? So I was seeing all those comments, too. And then, of course, I was seeing the ones about this was just Junior. It's Junior's team. That's why this is reversed and everything. But, um, I mean, it is just, like I said, surprising that they switched this call. But uh, I was just going to add to it that um, Noah Graxon's happy because he actually got the his bonus back, so he won the cash for dash. <laughs> yes, he did. Uh, the dash for cash, yeah. Okay, so Jay, what's our next topic? Well, just uh, to a solution to it all, you could have Larry McReynolds do it on the Ford cutaway card and explain what what they thought they saw and what they didn't and why it was overturned. I mean, that would be great. (laughs) That would be awesome. Maybe they'll do that this weekend. Who knows? (laughs) Yeah, I'll have to keep an eye on that. What's our next hot topic? Uh, Step down as... Texas Motor Speedway president after the All-Star race. race. So, and I know it doesn't necessarily say why he's doing it, but the time star race kind of threw me. Okay, Tommy, did you have any thoughts about uh, Eddie Gossage's retirement announcement? He's been uh, uh, track president for 27 years. Yeah, I saw that. Um, I didn't. I didn't realize that he had been. He's been pretty much the president since day one. There it seems so. Um, you know, uh, he didn't say that he was finished. Though. I read the uh, the the article that or his his uh, retirement letter or statement, 
and it said that uh, he was not finished. He was just stepping away from Texas Motor Speedway, so maybe he'll he'll reappear again in the future. But yeah, I didn't realize that he had been there that long, and I, I wasn't really familiar with who he was. But he's been there for a very a very long time. But I believe Texas is one of those states where they're going to probably have full capacity in the stands, so at least he gets to see uh, Texas Motor Speedway relatively full again uh, one last time before he's he's done uh, there. So that's that's awesome, and uh, I'm actually I'm kind of excited to see the All Star Race at Texas because. Um, I like how they're going to different places. I liked how they went to Bristol, so I'm excited to see what Texas does. Yeah, I think it's interesting how they uh, worded this. They're not saying Eddie Gossage has decided to retire. They're saying that he is stepping down following the June 13th NASCAR All-Star Race. Um, And I did read his letter as well. And uh, it seems to me like there's – Eddie Gossage has been like one of the premier promoters of uh, the racetracks and all the different things that he's done over the years to promote racing at Texas Motor Speedway. Uh, I'm wondering if they're restructuring uh, how these tracks are, are managed. I know from a media side, uh, there's about three or four different people that we get uh, information from with regard to the tracks, and it's all the tracks that NASCAR races on, but it's divided around three or four different people. So I wonder if this isn't part of that and that we might not see in another announcement uh, concerning Eddie Gossage somewhere down the road, road where he's maybe taking on a different position. Um, and that's just pure speculation on my part. He doesn't say that. Uh, he 32 years with the company, it says. Uh, he says the timing just feels right after 32 years with the company. Uh, the Smith family and Speedway Motorsports changed my life, and I will ever, will forever be appreciative and grateful. So uh, Melinda and I chart our next adventure. I'm thankful that I get to come full circle as a promoter with the NASCAR All-Star Race. So uh, he's just uh, one of those guys, maybe he's just ready for retirement, but you never hear the word retirement in any of this. It's a stepping down from that position. uh, And... uh, I just got a feeling we may hear another announcement somewhere down the road here. So what are your thoughts, Jay? I'm with you. Okay, Jay, you're in and out. We didn't catch all that. Okay, I said I was with you there on a couple levels. The the wording of it, again, and, and how it's worded, uh, not retirement but stepping down, uh, I think there's a little more to the story that maybe we'll hear here in a couple of weeks or another announcement down the road. Uh, unfortunately, and I can say I can blame it on Mike, but the the one that pops into my head, though, especially since you were, used the words premier promoter, is Humpy Wheeler uh, at Charlotte Motor yes. Speedway. And when he stepped away, you know, he said, thank you, it's been great, moving on. 
But as the years go, more of that comes out, and there was a, a falling out between him and the Smiths, Bruton Smith, at that time. And I don't know if there is anything there to that. Like you said, it would be speculation. But we've seen that before of of Humphrey Wheeler mm-hmm. uh, just – I don't know if he felt he couldn't do his job under under the guidelines of uh, SMI anymore or, or what that was, but, you know, he did move on to other things. And like I said, more and more light come, comes to light uh, later on down in the years that there were some disagreements there that weren't public at the time. So I don't know if that's the case. Like you said, maybe he does go to a different track uh, within the organization if that's what he chooses. And if he does so choose to uh, to enjoy his retirement in that aspect, that's great. I, like I said, just the timing, the fact that it didn't go to the end of the year, it was following this all-star race, you know, and I, I guess if you want to go out on top following the all-star race, hopefully that's a, a big event for Texas Motor Speedway this year. You know that's that's cool too, but just there's there seem to be a, a couple of little unanswered questions, and we may see some more of it come down the road. Okay, tell me, follow up. Um, yeah, just uh, like you guys said, it, uh, it's speculation about uh, what's going on there because uh, you guys are right. I've remembered from last year how they kind of rearranged management and everything. Like, I feel like some like, super speedways bought out other super speedways and they kind of like merged all together. Um, like, the tracks kind of like on like they're owned in clusters, like, like three tracks a piece uh-huh. are owned by like, separate companies and everything. So, but, um, I'm, I'm, Can I interrupt like I you, earlier. Tommy? Yes. Uh, I'm sorry. I do need to interrupt you because we're at that time of the night. Oh, uh, okay. I like to just alert new listeners. Uh, we are going to be going off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern time, and that means that uh, you're going to hear us go off the air mid-sentence. But I want to reassure everybody we are recording the rest of the conversation so you can hear that as bonus overtime material on our podcast. When we get finished here tonight, I'll go out on Twitter just to let everybody know that the podcast is available, and then you can fast forward uh, to the two-hour mark to hear the rest of the conversation. Again, this is an announcement that we do every night uh, on our Fan for Racing radio show just to uh, not cause anybody to be alarmed when we go off air mid-sentence, especially our new listeners. So with that, Tommy, I'm sorry. Go ahead and finish out your thought there. I was just going to say I'm I'm on board with uh, Jay. And like I said earlier, I just hope that uh, Texas All-Star Race uh, does good, that um, the grandstands are going to probably, probably be relatively full, hopefully. Because, uh, like I said, I don't. I think Texas is already like a no-mass state now. Every and everything. So, but yeah, hope it's a success, and uh, hopefully he reappears. Cause, like the thing says, he's just stepping away from Texas Motor Speedway, but not finished. Yes, and you bring up a really good point too, Jay. Uh, when you say, you know, the possibility is there that there might have been a conflict of. Uh, personalities, if you will, uh, because you are talking about two big personalities when you, you think about Marcus Smith and uh, Eddie Gossage. Those guys are are uh, very creative guys, and 
and uh, one, I think, maybe a little more creative than the other. And uh, I could see where that could be a possibility as well. And it could later come out to be the case. Uh, it's just interesting the way that they worded it, the timing of everything uh, just seems uh, a little odd. Because it, Texas is on the uh, playoff list too, right, at Texas Motor Speedway. So somebody else will be the president uh, by the time we go there for the Texas playoffs. So it's just interesting stuff, and I don't really have a whole lot to add, I guess, uh, to what I've already said. But uh, what are your final thoughts, Jane? Yeah, that, that's where that's where, like I said, that it comes into play of why not finish out the year of just uh, through mm-hmm. um, through the All Star race. Which again, if the, if there is reason for it, and that's not released, and it's personal information or you know whatever decision, you got to respect that, but. Um, it it just seemed kind of curious to me, and I was looking for something else there while you guys were talking. Uh, I was looking to see what the exact status of, and Sharon, you might be able to bring this into play, but if they are looking for a new president, I don't know the status of David Hyatt from Iowa Speedway, but I think that would be a great replacement if he were to want to come to Texas. <laughs> okay, he's, he's probably available. Although there is still some racing at Texas at Iowa Speedway this year. Um, okay, so um, Tommy, I guess we go back to you for the next hot topic. Let's go with um, Tom Majeski going to drive a fifth truck for Thor Motorsports. Okay. Oh. Am I still there? Still there. Oh, okay. Sorry, I thought my phone blew up again. Um, this okay. is one that that uh, Andy put in something. I really thought that all series had the four vehicle limit. And I say vehicle because it could be truck or car. In this case, the truck series. He said that was only in play at the cup series level. So if that's the case, then I'm all for it. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy to see Ty Majeski back no matter what. Uh, hopefully it's within the legal limits and everything else and it doesn't get the carpet pulled out from under him. But I really did think that that was in place across all all the NASCAR's top series of no more than four. Uh, but I am really happy to see Ty Majeski back. He is one that I thought uh, deserved the second chance or to continue in the opportunity where he was at, and it just didn't pan out. So I'm just super happy to see Ty Majeski back. Tommy? Uh, yeah, that's what I was going to say, too, was um, I remember him last year at Nice Motorsports, and, uh, like, he just stopped racing, like, mid-season, it felt like, or maybe was that two years ago now or was it last year? But but either way, um, I feel like he's one of those guys that wins wins the big stuff that's not really NASCAR-related. Like, he won the Snowball Derby, and I feel like he's won some other things, and uh, he's, he's kind of like, a, I guess, like Josh Berry a little bit, but um, 
he's actually going to be in with Thor Motorsports now and, and not Nice. So, I mean, he's in good equipment again. And, you know, Ben Rhodes already has two wins this year. So he's maybe he'll be, uh, be lucky. But I uh, also wanted to add, too, that I do feel like I remember even in the Cup Series a couple years ago that it used to be like five cars. And then they most recently changed it to only four. But I feel like at one point, like not too long ago, Hendrick had five cars on the track at once. Like they had Gordon, Earnhardt, Johnson, and um, Casey Kane. And then when they, because they were grooming Chase Elliott, I feel like that he was the fifth car on the track at one at one point. Or maybe he, maybe Casey Kane wasn't around. And it was just three, and then they had had Chase Elliott a select few races. But either way, I feel like I recall that. Okay, yeah, I know that, uh, you know, in the Cup Series, and I don't know if this is true in all of the series, but in the Truck Series, in the Cup Series, you can have a fifth truck for a few select races, as as Tommy put it, uh, and still run a fifth car, as long as they don't put in a full-time season. Now, did they say that Ty Majeski is going to run the entire rest of the season? Maybe he's... No, I I believe it was only two or three races, at least at this point anyway, that they had him listed. Yeah, I think that's how they're getting by with him being a fifth car. It's not for the full season, and it is for those few select races that he's being able to race in that fifth car. And that's why we have seen it in the other series uh, happen on a limited basis. And, in fact, I know uh, uh, they're doing that with Austin Sendrick in the number 33 car, although they don't really have five cars there, but he's running just some of the races uh, this season and not a full season. But... uh, yeah, I'm glad to see Ty Majeski back. I think he's a very talented driver. I would love to see him race the rest of the season. Uh, and he's one of those drivers uh, from the Wisconsin area that was part of the Alan Kowicki Driver Development Program. And uh, that is such a great program. And I'm I'm super excited uh, that he is back on track, and I hope he does get more uh, opportunities as this season continues because uh, it's our loss not to have Ty Majeski out there on the track. Jay? Uh, yeah, and a couple of things. I know on the Cup Series where it is a definite four-car limit, that fifth car is available for, they listed it as driver development, uh, I think is how they put it. Uh, so as Tommy referenced, when, when Chase Elliott came up and made those limited starts, I think it's up to seven races because that, again, also includes if you can have seven starts in one year and still be eligible for Rookie of the Year the next year. Uh, as Andy said, he didn't think that the, the limit was in place for the Xfinity and Truck Series, and I didn't hear anything back. I had replied to uh, to one of the posts or tweets of Bob Pockers, and I hadn't seen anything back on it of whether or not that four-car limit is only in the Cup Series. So if, if that's not in play in the Truck Series, more power to them if they can. Uh, so, and again, especially with Ty Majeski, uh, in different equipment, I won't say better equipment, but we've seen that with Nice Motorsports, uh, 
Ironically, it seems like Ross Chastain is the only one that can get anything out of those vehicles. I don't know what the reason for that is, but it seems to be the case that only Ross Chastain knows knows how to work their equipment. Um, But just to see him back, and as Tommy mentioned, he has gone back to running uh, late models. uh, I know throughout uh, Alabama here, he's been at two different speedways, and I can't think of them off the top of my head, but running top three with Bubba Pollard and Stephen Nassie back on the super late model circuit. So uh, I think that might be part of it is that talent still shows and somebody else has taken that chance on him and hopefully works his way back in. Okay, Tommy. Uh, yeah, like I said, he's going to Thor and Ben Rhodes has two wins. So, I mean, he's in he's in good equipment. But, yeah, Ross Chastain and, uh, well, Carson uh, Hancouver, uh, he did pretty good at Darlington. He ran into this, like, top 10, top 15 most of the race, but is, I think he's with Nice as a rookie. But I was going to also add that, like, Pinsky is doing it with Austin Cindric this year. He's ran a few races. Um, Cole Custer ran a few a couple years ago before mm-hmm. uh, he got in the 41 car. And then uh, Daniel Hemrick actually ran the 8 car before Tyler Reddick did, and he ran it. I think he ran it the first time at Richmond, and that was when they were, uh, like, before he did his rookie year, so they were kind of showcasing that car then. But, um, yeah, I'm just glad Tom Ojeski's getting another chance because it didn't work out last year for him at Nice. Like I said, it was it was cut short from what I remember. But um, maybe he'll get in that uh, Thor Motorsport car and do, do really good. Yeah, I hope he does. Uh, I don't have much to add. I'm just happy that he's back, and uh, I think we're going to see him try to make the most of the opportunity he has at Thor Sport Racing. Okay, so, um, Jay, that's back to you for another hot topic. I, I was looking. That was, those were actually the ones that I had on, at least from uh, from this week, and I know we already kind of covered well, uh, one or two, though, that uh, – wasn't able to from Monday night, so uh, I don't really have any others for tonight. Tommy, did you have anything else? Uh, we could bring up um, the Nashville Fairground Speedway stuff if y'all saw that the other day, or was it? I think yesterday. Yeah, the, their council got together. Yes, that. Okay. Uh, and let me see if I can find the piece on that because I saw that too. Um, where are you seeing it? Um, is it on J-Skis? Oh, um. I mean, there there might have been an article there, but I mean, I mostly saw it on Twitter. I feel like Bob Podcrass or somebody was, was tweeting about it, but um, I mean, that that would have been Did yesterday. Did they say I'd... what they decided? Oh, the it, council. Um, it's it all is still like going on. Like they haven't determined anything yet. Okay. Oh, here it is. Holds public hearing on the fairground speedway. Okay, so basically the latest step toward a potential NASCAR return uh, played out through dramatic political theater during a fair board of commissioners meeting 
at the Carl Dean Ballroom in downtown Music City on Tuesday night. Uh, Speedway Motorsports, which also operates Bristol nearby, is seeking to obtain the lease to the facility owned by the city of Nashville and Davidson County. That requires a majority vote of endorsement from both the Fair Board and City Council, but before that can happen, the process requires Speedway Motorsports to engage local community groups and hear concerns from Davidson County residents. The public comment forum took place on Tuesday with residents for and against the Speedway renovation taking the floor to address the fair board. Pro-Speedway renovations speakers included NASCAR Hall of Fame driver Daryl Waltrip, 2019 Fairground Speedway champion Jackson Boone, and Southern Marlin House, the daughter of NASCAR legend Sterling Marlin. Uh, the meeting also included the most comprehensive plan from Speedway Motorsports Executive Jerry Caldwell, yet featuring details concerning infrastructure, community value, and the provisional parameters of the leasing agreement. Uh, so um, this was basically uh, a chance for the residents to make their feelings known about uh, what happened. So they've got the full meeting uh, in its entirety uh, as well uh, available at Auto Week. And let's see. Long-term agreement. I'm trying to see if there were any kind of... uh, Decisions made, <laughs> but uh, okay, Jake. Any any thoughts there? Okay, did we lose Jay? We did. We lost Jay. So it's just you and me, Tommy. Um, it's uh, so the fairground speedway. Uh, I didn't see that any decision was actually made there. Uh, It says SMI pledged no more than 20 midweek test dates, which is consistent with the current number of track rental slots permitted under the COVID-19 guidelines. One of those days would be for NASCAR tire compatibility session. Uh, A parking plan was not released. The did present a rough outline that would see the Speedway offer shuttles to and from nearby hotels, remote parking areas, rideshare options, and on-site parking options. Uh, It's not part of the proposal, but there are parcels of commercial land across the street from the fairground property that could become available um, for the right price. Uh, the proposal also addressed areas of concern such as pollution, noise mitigation, the community outreach programs. Uh, that includes, we do expect long-term community partnerships, Caldwell said. That includes partnership with community speedway charities, STEM education through motorsports in nearby schools, and partnerships with nonprofits. Uh, Caldwell also pledged to pay event staff and regular workers 
uh, 15.50 per hour. But again, I don't see where there was any any decision actually made. What are your thoughts about it? Well, I was just going to say what I saw on Twitter was the they this one lady in particular went on there and kind of just put out like false information where she said that there this was one of the ladies that was against having the track be you know reopened the NASCAR. She said that there was like five other F1 tracks uh, in the Tennessee area and that they should go there instead of the Speedway or the fairgrounds. And, you know, that's just not accurate. I mean, it's not even the same sport that it, that we were talking about. So I like what uh, called Marcus Smith is involved in this, and Junior had a comment on it today or yesterday on his uh, podcast, and he explained it really well. He actually even was kind of informing the people that were – spreading the, you know, the false rumors or the, the people that just didn't want the track to reopen, that it's actually a good thing that NASCAR is trying to buy it because, like you just said, when you were going over the schedule there, there's actually going to be less racing at the track now. So it's it's going to be, you know, less lesser racing days there, so lesser noise. And um, they're also, if Marcus Smith is involved, he's looking at having a sound barrier built around so that way that there's no... There's no noise. So, I mean, maybe that'll change people's minds. But um, then it showed some of the people that were forward. It showed Daryl Waltrip go on there. And either way, that track is not leaving because uh, someone pointed out that it's a historical landmark. So it's not going anywhere. So if they don't approve racing now, they'll eventually get it approved in the future. There's no way that they, they don't. I mean, and NASCAR used to race there. So, I mean, I'm glad they're trying to bring it back. Marcus Smith and Jr. seem to be working really hard. Darrell Waltrip, um, it, you know, the, the negativity out there, I mean, I can understand those people not really wanting the traffic, and it probably is loud. I mean, I get it, but it's one one day. I mean, there's 365 mm-hmm. days out of the year. It's just one day. Well, they did say a long-term agreement. Let's see here. Caldwell says SMI is proposing an initial 10-year lease at $1 million per year with four renewal options at five years apiece to 30 years in total. Uh, the long-term agreement would give SMI a realistic runaway runway to earn a return on their investment needed to modernize the facility and secure the NASCAR National Touring Comeback to Music City. Uh, The current Nashville Fairground limits the promotional group to 10 race weekends per year. Speedway Motorsports would honor that number with one of the 10 dates becoming a NASCAR weekend and the other nine serving local and regional racing community. I'm sure they're talking about like the Advanced uh, Auto Parts Weekly Touring Series. Uh, That includes the venue's signature event, the All-American 400 Weekend, headlined by super late models and pro-late models. Uh, They also established a curfew of 10 p.m. for local and regional racing events and 11 p.m. for NASCAR and its provisional proposal. A major part of SMI's proposal has included 
event date and track testing transparency for the nearby neighborhood. So they pledged no more than the 20 midweek test dates, uh, which I went over before. Uh, I think I've covered everything now with regard to what they they covered. Uh, I didn't see anything about the building of the uh, sound barrier, but that sounds uh, like something that the community would probably want uh, in order to keep uh, that sound down in that area. Um, I don't know why they wouldn't want NASCAR to come there. That's what's confusing to me. Why wouldn't they want NASCAR to be there uh, and bring money into their community? Because you know it's going to bring a, a boatload of money into the community with, you know, uh, food and overnight stays and everything else. Um, I would see that as a plus for the community, not a negative. So uh, the why people would be against it is a little bit confusing to me. Follow up, that's Tommy. Basic, that's basically what Daryl Waltrip was saying. He was just like they'll. He said that they'll form charities. They'll give back to the community with the money that's made. Basically, that you know, right. it'll, in the in the long term, it'll just be a better deal and. Then, like Junior said on the podcast, that you guys want Marcus Smith doing this. There's no one better in in the game right now. He's going to get it done. Like he'll make sure everything's properly in place and everything that everybody's happy. He'll he's the guy that can make that happen. And I just, you know, if they're going to make Bristol two dirt races or whatever's in the future. You know, they're working on North Wilkesboro. They're trying to get the Nashville Fairgrounds going. I, I like it. I just I want them to keep on doing what they're doing. They're working hard, the Marcus Marcus Smith's group, and I think they're doing a great job. I mean, I really hope the Nashville Fairgrounds happens. I don't I hope that all that information that was going out there yesterday that was wasn't really true and accurate that people don't don't listen to it because like I said, some of it just wasn't even realistic. Like the the five F one tracks being in the same same area as the fairgrounds. I mean, it's that's yeah. not even real, and it's not even the same. Like I said, the same sport is completely different. Mhm. Yeah, it it is it is baffling to me. So I don't have a whole lot more to say. So I think I'm going to go ahead and uh, let us go ahead and close this out, Tommy. Uh, if you want to say your uh, – our roundtable is kind of a long table today <laughs> instead of a roundtable. <laughs> okay. Um, well, um, I was going to actually ask you, um, is the SRX article still available to write? Well, yeah, there's all kinds of things coming out on SRX. So, yeah, I've got stuff to send you away if you're interested in writing about it. Okay. Well, um, I, I was kind of brainstorming some, some stuff today. I saw the one about the format, so that was kind of what I was, was thinking about. But um, I, I'm okay. still... I'm still on the the new the Twitter thing. It's uh, at NASCAR fan since '95. Um, um, 
I'm gonna I think I can actually probably go in and change it now or change my name to something different because I couldn't at first because I for some other reason on Twitter but yeah um, follow me on Twitter um, so I'm I'm gonna start tweeting more often hopefully and uh, uh, I'll get to work on an SXR, SRX article soon okay tomorrow morning I'll try to send some stuff your way um, okay, I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter, and we are Fan for Racing blog and radio everywhere else, and uh, including our FanForRacing.com website, where all of our articles are posted, as well as our radio show information. So uh, we've had, uh, uh, I know I'm expecting to get some things, uh, power ranking from Owen uh, hopefully I'll get that within the next day or so here, and we can get that out by the weekend. And uh, I know uh, Sam will have the recap of the cup race on Monday, and uh, I think that the guys are working on some other things too. I'm not 100% sure exactly what yet, but uh, definitely look for that SRX article uh, from Tommy coming this way as well. So with that, I guess uh, it's a big shout-out to our listeners for tuning in and to our Fan for Racing crew for all that they do uh, here on Mondays and Thursdays nights as well as with the articles that we post up. So uh, with that, uh, Tommy, I guess we're ready to say good night. Thanks for having me. Y'all have a good night. Okay. Good night, everybody. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. 
and all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.